really appreciated um, that um, uh, what we focused on there as we were breaking bread. And I really, was really struck, um, Rachel, by your use of the word authority. Um, and uh, that's a really key word, actually, for, for the next bit, too. So I'm just going to share um, my screen here so that you can hopefully see that. Um, there we go. Oops, even better. Sorry. I seem to have um, a, uh, maybe even start from the beginning. Starting from the beginning is always good, isn't it? So, okay. So, um, so what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Um, or what parable shall we use to describe it? Um, just uh, uh, gonna just talk to you a bit about um, what we're hoping to cover today. So um, there's four big chunks of what I want to talk about. Um, I'm not going to talk for long, but um, there's just some to give some context to, to that question. Um, look at the question itself. There are two shafts of light, two key parables that Jesus shares in this passage and that we're going to look at and then circle back to the central issue, really, which is what shall we say? So just by way of um, doing that, let's just start with a bit of context. So. This is, uh, the, today is the third question in our series of questions. Most of their questions Jesus has asked. Um, and if you remember, Johnny began our series with uh, that question um, from um, when Jesus healed the guy who was laid down, laid down through the roof by his friends. So why do you raise such questions in your hearts? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Can Jesus really heal me? Who does he think he is? And he, he, outline that he has authority to forgive and to heal and if you remember that link to the form of the opening of mark's gospel that was this um people would have understood it was a roman imperial announcement style which is you know good news a new king is here and he quotes isaiah as well which then links to both the political power of a coming king and forgiveness of sins that was fantastic way for us to start a really good open question. Why do you raise such questions in your hearts? And Lloyd then talked to us last week about a uh, following question. Why are you so afraid? And that was very much in the stormy waters of life. Are we hiding or are we surrendering to love? And somehow Jesus' question took the disciples from a don't you care to who is this man who has authority over the wind and the waves. So our first question showed Jesus has authority to forgive and to heal. And the second question shows he has authority over the wind and the waves and the external circumstances that might scare us. So this is the third question we're then uh, talking about. I wanted just to start with a little bit of background, like Rachel also reading, watching a lot of the news this week about what's going on and, um, uh, it was very moving just watching the Facebook live stream from the Kiev uh, urban vineyard, uh, Kiev vineyard, I should say, not urban, but Kiev, Kiev vineyard church, um, and just see them uh, sharing and worshipping uh, right in the middle of Kiev at the moment. This is um, from Isaiah as well, um, uh, just as Johnny shared in the first day. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills. All nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go to the house of the Lord, to the temple 
of the, the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so we may walk in his paths. The Lord will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. And that context, which is in uh, the backdrop of all of Jesus' uh, uh, followers at this point, who all are kind of Jews drawn from uh, across, uh, across Israel, is that peace comes from the received rule of the king of kings. I'll say that again. Peace comes from the received rule of the king of kings. So the story so far. Well, Mark's first words, the beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the son of God. That's what Mark says this thing's, whole thing's all about. It's about Jesus. It's about a person. But then Jesus' first words in Mark, uh, in, in, Mark in, 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 in verse 15, when John's in prison, Jesus goes around Galilee proclaiming also the gospel of God. And he says about it, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has drawn near. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. So what's going on? Mark says this gospel is all about Jesus, the son of God. Jesus says it's all about the kingdom of God. And, that, and they're both right. The son of God is the king of the kingdom. And as we know from current events, a kingdom advancing is only good news if the character of the king is of good character. And um, so who, who the king is and what his kingdom is are integrally kind of tied together. We can't separate those. So now in terms of those first, um, uh, this passage we're looking at today is from Mark 4. The lead up to that, uh, uh, you know, is that uh, Jesus kind of has, you know, he's, he's been baptized. Uh, he's been into the wilderness. He's gathered up followers who all immediately leave all to follow him. That's Mark's famous. Mark's a real action. It's the action gospel. It's kind of like the, uh, the, the, the sort of that in that genre. And so his favorite word is immediately oh, at once. At once they left everything and followed him. And they do. So his followers leave, leave everything to follow him. He amazes them with his authority to teach and to command the evil spirits, to heal a whole town full of diseased and sick people. He moves on to other towns. He heals a leper and makes him clean. He shows his authority to forgive and heal that paralyzed man brought down by his friends. He gathers more followers. He shocks people by eating with sinners, confuses John's disciples by feasting or not fasting, and being completely free on the Sabbath to pick corn and to heal a shriveled hand. He drew huge crowds, but then appointed 12 and got so busy healing and teaching that frankly, there was no time to eat and his family thought that he was gone mad. So in our parlance of today, you'd probably say, Jesus and his movement sort of went viral very, very quickly. And that's what we kind of see happening in the first four uh, chapters of Mark's gospel. It's an amazing pace. And then he gives his disciples a first tutorial, understanding parables 101, the parable of the sower, all about how we receive God's word. And, and then we come straight away to this next question. And it's a big one. It's a really big one. Let's look at the passage. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows. 
though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as the grape is ripe, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest has come. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such branches that the birds can perch in its shade. So what I, I kind of find myself wondering, what should we say the kingdom of God is like or what parable should we use to describe it? It's like, well, why does he kind of ask that, you know, um, and why does it and does it matter? We're going to see it matters absolutely hugely, that question. And um, and also we should note that it's present tense. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Not what will it be like in some future time? The kingdom of God is present tense once Jesus has come. So is the kingdom of God a big deal then? Well, Jesus used the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven a hundred times in the Gospels. And by comparison, he uses the word church on two occasions in one of the four Gospels. Jesus said he was sent to proclaim the kingdom. It's funny, isn't it? We often get focused on now, how can we build the church? But Jesus said, I will build my church. He said, that's his job. For us, he said, seek first the kingdom. Seek first. The very first priority should be seeking the kingdom. And again, he said he was sent to proclaim the kingdom. After his resurrection, the very last 40 day on earth intensive teaching to his followers, in, as summarized in the start of Acts, was he taught them about the kingdom of God. And Acts then was a demonstration and proclamation of the kingdom. And in fact, it ends. The very last verse in Acts talks about Paul in Rome. and says, boldly and without hindrance, Paul, uh, he preached, he, that's Paul, preached the kingdom of God and talked about the Lord Jesus Christ. So once you realise this thing about the kingdom is, is just kind of all the way through the Gospels, all the way through the letters, you know, the rule of God described so clearly in the Old Testament, you, you kind of think, how did I not see this? How did I not see that this was so huge? It's such, such a huge thing. So what shall we say about the kingdom? That's a funny phrase, isn't it? You know, what shall we say? I feel like Jesus is inviting us in there. He didn't say, what shall I say about it? Or even what should you say? It's what shall we say? He wants us to have a coordinate, a conversation about it. and it's going to be a bit of a collaborative endeavor it's not going to be one of us talking we're going to talk to each other about it and to him about it i was thinking about why why would it matter what we said not just what we thought and i guess i look back in sometimes in my, my life and where you've had really major uh, things to adjust to in your life you know um i think about you know having a you know having a pretty serious illness um uh more than 10 years ago now and it, and it might be something serious like that. It might be the loss of a loved one. It might just be a major thing that's happened. It might, might be a joyful thing, you know. I've decided I'm going to spend the rest of my life with someone. We're going to get married. But you can kind of, uh, the event can kind of start to strike you. But then it takes on a different significance when you start telling other people about it. And it sinks in. As you talk about it, you hear the, you hear the words coming out of your own mouth. 
and and more deeply you realize the reality of the, the big change that's just just on so so it talking about it is a thing it's not just thinking about it and and how do we talk about it and how we talk about the kingdom of god really does matter because this is a kingdom that's not like other kingdoms and we need to help other people see that and and also for that reality to sink in for us it's kind of why john's disciples were so confused they went to jesus and said hang on you know i thought you said the kingdom was at hand what what's going on all we can see is you partying and you know and, and and stuff but many people in those times were looking for a military messiah an overthrow of herod and rome and you know wrong thinking about god's kingdom his rule in our lives has huge consequences think right back to the very beginning the beginnings in genesis well what happened in genesis 3 the snake said did god really say that you must not eat from any tree of the garden what was the first thing he was trying to imply well actually god's rule sounds a bit narrow and restrictive oh what a killjoy wrong thinking about the rule of god god god's wonderful provision and his rule so so it really matters um but, but what is it then i mean what is the kingdom then well i tend to go to a really key verse which is in matthew 6 10 we all know it from the lord's prayer thy kingdom come thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven how's god will done in heaven exactly well it's done completely it's done joyfully comprehensively immediately it's done fully charles simpson said this what about what the kingdom is it's his order entering to man's chaos eternity encroaching into time it's god's will intruding into man's ways and it's heaven declaring to earth his will be done whenever we yield to him the kingdom comes in us and whenever we go into the world and bring his influence and his wisdom such that his ways are adopted then the kingdom of god comes in all the spheres of life that you and i touch brian hayes uh, put it this way i've slightly paraphrased what he said but this is when the kingdom is extended, all of these things. Every time a life yields to Jesus, every time part of my life becomes more yielded, that's the kingdom coming. When a sickness or a disease is healed because it submits to the healing power of Christ, when the demonic no longer dominates, when disinformation and misinformation and those ideas that set themselves up against the knowledge of God get eclipsed by the truth, that's the kingdom coming. When righteous acts happen in this unrighteous world and when justice is accomplished, when the poor and needy are lifted up, every time the evil fails to triumph, that's the kingdom being extended. Another Brian, Brian Watts, a Canadian uh, pastor, said this, which is um, really worth dwelling on. As the throne of God is the central factor in the whole universe, we can be sure that our relation to that throne will determine every issue in life. The kingdom of God, the throne of God, is the central factor in the whole universe. So everything that is, is, exists in relation to that throne, and, and, and whether it's uh, come under receiving Jesus' rule, or whether it hasn't, will determine the issue so it's a huge question but of course jesus goes on not just to say you know 
what is uh, what shall we say the kingdom of God's like? He says, what parable shall we use to describe it? So that takes us to our third section, uh, really. These two shafts of light. Parables are really like shafts of light. Each parable of the kingdom reveals a truth about it. And we've got two of them here in this passage we've just looked at. I wonder what strikes you about the pass about the farmer in the first passage. Just remind you of what it said. Farmer scatters seed on the ground, night and day, whether or not he sleeps or get up. The seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. And as soon as grain's right, he puts a sickle to it because the harvest come. How competent does that farmer sound to you, actually? Often doesn't seem to get up, has no real idea about how this thing is going to grow. How dedicated does he sound? And, and how critical would you say his role is in what happens once the seed has been uh, scattered? He's almost kind of comically lazy and distracted, almost for, for effect. Why? So why, why then, with a seemingly absent and incompetent sower of the seed, why on earth, how on earth does the seed grow? Why does it grow? Is it flashy? No, it just sort of grows in stages. It's quite gradual, quite progressive. And yet it's never in doubt. Just as Isaiah said, of the increase of his governance and peace, there will be no end. It's what the kingdom's like. Craig Blomberg, uh, who writes loads of great stuff about parables, uh, said, it's striking. There's no mention of plowing, harrowing, cultivating. Jesus is teaching that the kingdom is not controlled by human effort. There is a guaranteed and yet somehow unpredictable growth of the seed. And there's an emphasis on that progressive growth and stages. So that's a bit about what we should be talking about the kingdom being like. It's got a life of its own. It's kind of organic. It's not mechanical. It's not a formula. We can't tame it and, you know, apply a method. It, it's something that we can help to be involved in and cultivate. But whether we're brilliant or whether we're incompetent, whether we're highly focused on it or whether we're completely distracted, actually, the kingdom has a life of its own and it's going to grow and grow and grow. That's a great shaft of light for us. What about the second shaft of light then? That little picture on the right is a picture of a mustard seed. Doesn't it look impressive? Huge. How impressive is it to look at? What would you predict if you saw it alongside other bigger seeds? Probably wouldn't project very much for it. And yet that becomes the largest shading tree in the garden and the one that the birds seek shelters in. So we shouldn't really uh, be worried about what things look like. We shouldn't really be impressed by things that look big and impressive and powerful. That's the way the world thinks, actually. Things that look small and fragile, um, like that small group of believers in, 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 a, in a shelter with a, a shining white cross in Kiev at the moment. They, it, they look small and they look fragile, and yet they are the mustard seed conspiracy their God being at work. And we can see these huge forces at work in our world. And, you know, 
I probably like all of us, we, we just say, Lord, we want you to break in in huge and dramatic and visible ways. And you know, at times God does do that in history. But what he does very, very often all the time is we see a series of small breakthroughs on which the world will turn. Hearts that change, courageous lives, people living against all odds, people sharing love in the face of hate, people overcoming evil with good and overcoming darkness with light. The mustard seed conspiracy. The early church believed that because of the nature of the kingdom of God, they could influence and transform society. Tertullian put it like this at the end of the second century. He said, we came on the scene only yesterday and already we fill all your institutions, your towns, your walled cities, your fortress, your senate and your forum. Now God will place some of us like Esther in really elevated positions for such a time as this. But he places all of us in places to make a difference, big or small, because that tiny mustard seed has the, the life force of the growing seed, gradually growing and, and coming to harvest. So as we close, let's circle back on that central question. Where has God put you? Or where can you go from where you are? Do you find yourself feeling that you have to make things happen, you have to force it? Or that maybe if only you had more resources and more people, more time, more talent, you could, you could achieve? Well, if that's how you're thinking, maybe you're not seeing, and maybe you're not speaking about how his kingdom works. It is the mustard seed conspiracy. And that begins with understanding what we're seeking and voicing that understanding. So. Let's finish again with this question. What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? God bless you.